kind of coming into this Resurrection Sunday anticipation in the next couple weeks. Next week is Palm Sunday, and so we celebrate that in remembrance of, um, of in the scriptures where Jesus comes from Jericho, and he's coming down into Jerusalem, and, uh, and they're celebrating him, and they're laying palm branches before him, and they're taking their cloaks off and laying those before him as um, celebrating who they believe him to be. And so he finishes three and a half years of ministry, and he's coming into this last week of his life, and that's Palm Sunday, and so that's what we're entering into. And um, so that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time today in the book of Matthew. Let me, let me pray as we enter into this. We worship you today, God. We come because you are the one in whom we, we long for. That's why we gather here today. We thank you that we can gather as a church, but ultimately we want you to be among us. We want to know you. We want to love you more. Um, we want to celebrate you. And so as we read your word today, would you teach each of us individually, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us um, what it is you desire us to see and to know and how we can live because of that? and because of what you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. So I want to start, before we go to Matthew 21, open your Bibles up to Psalm 118, because this really is the backdrop for us as we, as we look more at Matthew 21. So Psalm 118. And there's four, there's four verses in this little portion. Actually, it's four out of five. We're just going to read a little bit before um, the first one starts. But four out of the five verses that are in this portion of Scripture we see directly in Matthew 21. So verse 19 is where we'll start. Psalm 118, verse 19. It says... Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. And here's where the first four out of five verses start. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So when the Jews have read this for many years, this verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected, the stone that comes to mind um, there's a few of them, but one of the stones is King David. And it says the stone that the builders rejected. If you remember the story of King David when he's a boy and Samuel's coming to anoint him as the next king. If you remember that, that, um, that moment, both Samuel and Jesse sort of pass over David. They're like, well, he comes up and says, are these all your sons? He goes through all these seven. He's like, do you have any other sons? Because God's chosen none of these. Samuel thought the first one, surely he's going to be king, maybe the second one, and then he realizes, okay, I'm just trusting you, God. And then he gets to the end, and he's like, okay, none of these are it. And uh, he says, you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, oh, yeah, I guess I have one more. He's out in the fields. Well, go get him. So they bring him, 
And God then pursue, um, then God reveals to Samuel that he doesn't look at the outward appearance as Samuel has done, but he rather looks at the heart. And so both Samuel and Jesse rejected him. And it says, um, this stone that was rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. And, and if you know more of what happens, then you can read more in the Old Testament. You know more of what happens in the life of David. God begins to take David and use him as the greatest earthly king that the Jewish people have ever had. He takes a boy, grows him into, and, and he, he defeats Goliath. So if you know that story, he def, God defeats the Goliath through David. And then he brings David into this kingdom. And he promises David he says, you're going to have a king that's on your throne forever. And so he takes this boy that's rejected, he builds him into a king, and then he promises him and says, out of your line, there's going to be this king that's forever and ever and ever and ever on the throne. And so the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous. It's amazing how God takes the lowly and the weakest and those that maybe we reject and he uses them in such powerful ways. So that, um, so as you look at Matthew chapter 21 today, there's a few things we think about stone, the stone that was rejected. There's three pieces. I, don't, I never have time to get an outline to you, so I'm sorry. Forgive me. Um, you can follow along as best you can. I'll just trust the Lord. But there's three, there's sort of three emphasis Emphases. So the first is the stone that's received, the second is the stone that's rejected, and the third is the stone that remains. And so as you go through Matthew, we're just going to kind of go high level. There's so much in there. You could probably spend weeks alone in this chapter, but, um, but just think about that. The stone that's received, the stone that's rejected, and the stone that remains. We'll just kind of be at a higher level here um, as we look through it, but we'll read through it together. Um, so the stone that's received. So Matthew chapter 21. Flip over to there with me. And if you remember these portions of scripture um, that we read in, in Psalm 118, you'll see them come out here. So verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humbled and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, or put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd show, spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, and the crowds went before him that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna means deliver us, please save us. Psalm 118. Please save us, O God. Hosanna. They're shouting this. Hosanna, Son of David. Okay, who's going to be the next king that reigns forever and ever and ever? A son of the king of David. All right? Hosanna, please save us, deliver us, son of David. Blessed is he, 
The next line in Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And so the people received Jesus. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. And then shortly after, now he's coming into the city of Jerusalem and all of this is happening. And all the people are like, is this the one? Is he the one? That's what they say. It's not like they didn't know who Jesus was. Like, who is this? He's the Messiah, the one we're waiting for. Save us, deliver us. Deliver us from, from Roman oppression. Right? Deliver us. Save us, God. And so there's all this excitement around Jesus as he's entering and all the expectation of who they believe Jesus to be, a king that's going to save them from Rome. And he's riding in on a donkey, which is a symbol of peace. After kings win wars, they ride in on horses and ascend their throne with all their soldiers and with the prisoners behind. And Jesus isn't riding on a horse. He's riding in on a donkey, a symbol of peace. And they didn't see it. They didn't see it. So they receive him. It'll continue on. They receive him because, of, because he seeks to return authentic worship, authentic worship of God. He wants people to worship God truly for who he is. So he continues, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple. So if you know anything about the temple, the main space that you walk into, which is the majority of the space in the temple courtyard and area, is the temple, or the, excuse me, the court of the Gentiles. That's where Gentiles, foreigners, non-Jews are able to come in and worship God. There's a number of them in the Bible. A lot of times they're called God-fearers. You can read about them in the book of Acts and other places. Even in the Gospels, you see God-fearers. So he's in the court of the Gentiles, and it says, he drove, And he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. So we have Jesus coming in. In peace, everyone's celebrating him, right? And he comes in, and he sees this visual, okay? Imagine, they're, they're selling animals. So he's entering into a place where Gentiles are to be worshiping God, and he sees animals. What do animals do? They poop. He smells feces. What does he hear? He, hears, he just hears animals in, in sort of chaos, in the court of the Gentiles where they're to be worshiping God. And so he, he wrecks havoc in this. And this is the second time he does this. He's flipping tables. Money's going everywhere. He's stopping people from buying stuff and selling stuff. In other texts, he's stopping people from just passing through and carrying things. He's stopping all of this. Jesus is zealous for the house of his, God, of, of his father. The house of God. It, earlier in John, it says, it says, zeal, they remember, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus is seeking to bring authentic worship back to the court of the Gentiles and to the people. And the religious leaders are selling. And if you know anything, too, like from, from this context, people maybe are, are bringing in sacrificial animals to use. And then they check over and like, well, this one doesn't count. You got to buy a new one. But this one's like five times more. And so there's injustice in there as people are buying. 
There's abuses in the temple. And Jesus is seeing all that. He said, this isn't true worship of God. And so they receive Jesus. He's bringing true and authentic worship back. When you see people who authentically live lives of worship as followers of Jesus, that stirs within us. Does it not? I want to follow you more and love you more, God. And so people are seeing this, and they don't resist it. Um, For later on, it says, they continued saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They continued to, to, to honor him. And so then Jesus says this. He says, it is written, verse 13, he's, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Jesus is remembering this in Isaiah and in Jeremiah. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but, you, but you've made it into a den of robbers and of thieves. And Jesus is received because of his tenderness for the people. Okay, so all this has just happened, and then it says right after this, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. He's not too high and mighty. People come to him. And he heals them. What am I needing in my life, oh God? What do I need from Jesus? And am I, am I first coming to him? Or is he sort of the afterthought? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I should, I should have prayed. I should have pursued him. But I sort of just charged ahead. May he be the first that we come to. The first whom we seek in our time of need. And so Jesus, the stone that's received. Now we look in this and we see from here following the stone that's rejected. So verse uh, 15. But, the, but when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were angry because they felt that that was unfair. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And so Jesus gets all the praise. He doesn't leave praise for anyone else. And so he's rejected by the religious leaders because they're jealous. Jesus is being worshipped. Why not me? This rabbi is being worshipped. What about everyone else? Everyone that's had all the training. What about me, the chief priest? Over all the people of Israel. So the people are indignant. And, and they become angry. Look at verse... Um, 16. Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Right after this, right after this, in Psalm 8, verse 2, it talks about how that praise of the infants and babies is going to silence the enemies of God. So when they hear that, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Then they hear the rest of it. It's sort of like this. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he 
gave his only son. You know it, okay? It's like that. So they hear this, and then they, they hear, to still and to silence the enemies and the avengers, the enemies of God. That praise that they're praising God with, that's actually exposing who you are because you're not part of that praise. You see that? So they become angry with him. Jesus is getting all the praise, and they're jealous. They reject him because Jesus doesn't fit into the box and the expectation of what they think the Messiah is to be. So look at verse 18. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And when he entered the temple, okay, he's re-entering the temple next day, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority, by what ordination, are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority or this ordination? And Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question, and you tell me the answer. Then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why did you not believe? But if he, if he say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And this authority, this, this ordination is, is coming out of this context when Jesus is flipping the tables and doing all this. And he, says, and he says, my father's house should be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. That's sort of new. I haven't, I haven't heard that that applies to this context and so they're coming and saying, what gives you the right to teach these? What authority do you have to teach these things? Because this doesn't fit with what we're doing. This doesn't fit with how we've taught this in the past. And so Jesus isn't fitting into the box of which they think he should be in. What boxes are we placing Jesus into that prevent us from seeing really who he is? Jesus, you fit nicely in this box that I can conceive and understand. But the word says, no one can know the mind of the Lord. Who's his counselor? Who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? What boxes do we place Jesus into and do we miss seeing him because of the box that we placed him into? And the last piece, why is Jesus rejected the stone that's rejected? It's because the message that Jesus speaks isn't what the religious leaders want to hear. They don't want to hear this message. So now as we read these two parables, parables have one specific point. Okay, there's, sometimes there's extra details in there, but it's teaching one, there's one thing. 
right? So if you're thinking about some of the parables that you know that aren't from a biblical standpoint, like the tortoise and the hare, you could probably deduce a few things from there, but ultimately it boils down to what? Slow and steady wins the race, right? So that's sort of the main point. So we want to we not miss out on the main point. So he says in verse 28, we'll just read the first one. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the older son and said to him, the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, yes, amen, truly. I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Remember the question that Jesus asked? They said, uh, he asked of John, the baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from man? They didn't answer, right? Jesus is like, well, then I'm not going to answer you. And then he goes in and he tells them the answer. Within this, he says, what, the, the first son says no, then he goes, he changes, he repents, he goes. The second son, yes, I'll go, doesn't go, okay? And then he says, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Now here, for John came to you in the way of righteousness to show kingdom living, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, those who rebelled at first but then said, yes, I will repent and follow the message of John of repentance and turning unto God and to faith. They turn and go. And he says, and even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. You saw this happening and you didn't repent and follow. You resisted because those are the disdained among us. They need that. That's not us. We got it all together. And so he says, you've rejected the message of repentance from John. And then he continues. The second, he's talking about Jesus himself, the son, okay? Now think about the message that's going and who's bringing the final message in this one, all right? And what happens to him, okay? So the parable, uh, verse 33, the second parable. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and leased it to the tenants, and went into another country. So he's hired these people to take care of the vineyard, to bring forth its fruit, and to give him his fruit when he returns. What's due him? When the season of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, the only son, they said to themselves, the only son is um, in Mark, but he only has one son here, okay? And they said, to, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and have his inheritance. If this heir dies, the only son dies, we get it. The land is going to be open for taking and they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. 
When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And then Jesus says to them, have you not read in the scriptures? Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Why is he talking about a stone here? I thought it was about a vineyard with tenants. Think about the person who's being sent, the last and final message, and what happens to him. They kill him. And they say, we get the vineyard then. And they reject the message of Jesus. This word rejected, the stone that the builders rejected, is, actually means it's a tested stone that we have found worthless and useless. And so we toss the stone. We don't need that one. We're going to find a better one. They reject the message of Jesus. And seek to go their own way. And then finally this last part. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So the builders have found this stone, they've tested this stone, and it's worthless and it's useless, and so they toss it out. In the scriptures, when it talks about cornerstone, um, there's a stone that's placed when they're going to build. And it's a foundation stone, and they set it down exactly where they want it, and they build everything From this stone, this is the foundation stone, the cornerstone. From here, everything else is perfected. And so think plumb line, but think on the ground, okay? And so we're building then, we're going to build up this, this building or whatever around this cornerstone. And, um, and Jesus is saying, that stone is me, and you've rejected me. How amazing. It says this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. How amazing that God continues to use those whom we don't think. We look at them and we don't think this is, this is the one. In Corinthians, he talks about how he uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And the unwise to shame the wise. So that he might be glorified. It's God's pleasure to use normal people. Praise God, right? How many of you are normal here, like me? Right? I'm not a Billy Graham. Even him at a young age, though. He's probably asking the same question or thinking the same thing. Thank you, God, that you use the weak among us. You use the folly of what we preach to save people. And my lack of understanding, it's your delight to use my message to save people's hearts because ultimately it's your message. And um, it's a glorious work of God. And so this stone, 
you think about the stone and the, and the sun, it says, the one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So don't think too much into that outside of, if we have, if we have a stone, and I'm going to like, let's see if we can break this thing, and we're going to use everything we can to throw on the stone, and everything we have just keeps busting. What happens? The stone remains. Well, how about we, how about we take the stone, and we'll, and we'll take this stone, and we'll drop it on stuff, and maybe that'll break it. Everything that we dropped a stone on, it's crushed to powder. The stone remains. The stone forever remains. Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, remains forever. Regardless of if we reject his message or receive his message, he remains. It doesn't change the reality. It only changes our eternal destiny. I want to end with this. Um, Out of Isaiah, turn with me. Isaiah chapter 28. Similar language to what we're looking at here. 28 verse 16. So we have the stone that's been received by many, the stone that's been rejected by some. Now, this isn't all religious leaders. This isn't the Jews as a whole. I don't believe that. I don't believe the scriptures teach that. Even this, even this parable, the second parable we went through, some think, well, that's just God's gotten rid of the Jewish people. No, God is faithful to his promises. Although they might not look the same as what we think, God hasn't rejected his people, nor is this all the religious leaders. The, actually, the religious leaders that we read here in this text in Matthew chapter 21 are called Sadducees. Sadducees are sort of these people that, that, that's like the chief priests, a number of the Sanhedrin. The chief priest is like the, the highest, okay? This type of leader is what they are. We got the Jews over here and the Romans over here. How can we sort of be in the middle, esteemed by both, having good relationships with both, so we can get what we want? They reject a number of things. You can read about that as Jesus interacts with them in the Gospels. The Pharisees are on this side, We're for the Jews. We're for the people of God. We resist the Roman rule, the Roman oppression. Okay, two different types of leaders. So the Apostle Paul does something really, really sweet. He comes into this court. Okay, this is just a tidbit. All right, he comes into this court. He's under trial. And and there's there's Sadducees and Pharisees. And he notices that. And he's like, and the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do, right? And he says, I stand here on trial, and I can't think of the words specifically, but he says, and it's about the resurrection of the dead. And all of a sudden, there's like this fighting that happens, and Paul's sort of like able to like seek out, right? And um, so we have these people fighting. So the, the religious leaders that we read here are the Sadducees, the ones that are in a sort of cahoots with the Roman leaders, all right? But still sort of wanting to have their way as a Jewish people. All right, so you have the stone that's rejected by them, by these religious leaders, and then you have the stone that remains. Regardless of what happens, the stone remains forever and is the cornerstone of which everything else is built upon. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of sure, of a sure foundation. Whoever believes 
will not be in haste. So this is, this is cool. Check this out. The stone, a stone, a tested stone. It's a good stone. It's tested. It's tried. It's found faithful. Remember what the religious leaders did. They saw the stone, the builders, the religious leaders, the stone that the builders rejected. God takes this stone that's thrown out from the eyes of the religious leaders, and he says, no, this stone is tested. You've tested it and found it worthless, but this stone is tested. It's precious. It's a sure foundation. So we build upon it. And everything else falls in line with that stone. And so some questions as we end with this text. God says, the stone is tested. He's found faithful. Where is my hope? and my trust where is your hope and your trust it says a precious cornerstone god says this stone is precious this stone is rare this stone is of great value and worth is jesus precious to me how precious is jesus to me do I love him with all of my being? Is he more desirable to me than anything else? Is he precious to me? It's a stone of a sure foundation. Do I build my life upon this foundation? Do I, do I build my day-to-day, my moment-by-moment, upon Jesus, this precious stone? Or, or do I live sort of trying to do my thing and then occasionally kind of coming back? Or do I, do I maybe spend a little time with him in the morning and then sort of just do what I see fit the rest of the day? Is my life built upon this Sure foundation. Is he the one I seek to know and to obey so that he might be praised and glorified? Whoever believes will not be in haste or in a hurry. First Peter chapter 2 uses this text and it says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus, you're the stone that's precious, that's sure, that's tested. And when I stand before God, your word says that with all of my living and following after you, I won't be ashamed. I won't be shamed because I gave up my life for you. 
Although in this life, people might see it that way. When I stand before you, the faithful one, the one in whom I desire to love and please, you say, I won't be ashamed. I won't be ashamed of where I put my faith and trust. And so what do you decide, my brothers and sisters, not just in the moment of salvation, but every day that we live? Do we receive the stone? Do we reject the stone? Do our own thing. Go our own way. The stone remains either way. But what do you choose? What do you choose? And if you are in this place where you're like, I don't even know if I've made a choice. Today is the day. Don't let it pass by. Today is the day. There's a, um, our brother Adam's going to get up in a moment here. Um, but also, I'll, I'll plan to stay up here and other elders. And if you're like, I, I need to make a decision today. Am I going to receive the stone or reject the stone? Am I going to receive Jesus or, or reject Jesus? And, um, and we, we would love to walk with you. We'd love, to, we'd love to, to spend some time with you as you consider that question. And... Um, and remind you that Jesus is a sure and steadfast stone that if you believe and trust in him, you won't be ashamed. We thank you, God, for sending Jesus and doing something that's your work and is amazing and marvelous and awe-inspiring to us. That you've so chosen this stone rejected by many to be, the, to be the cornerstone of which all of life and faith are built upon. And so we love you, God. Help us today to live in a way that shows that we receive you, Jesus, and we want to follow after you in everything we do. Amen.